if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 27. That's next to the last chapter in the book of Acts, okay? Acts chapter 27. I'll give you a moment to find that. Let me, let me say this uh, about tonight. I am not going to go through and say Wallace, and then say Tina, and then say Don, and then say I'm not going to do that. Uh, so if you're not comfortable, if you don't feel like that's something that, you know, and you're not sure, you're not ready, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out, okay? All I'm going to say is, is you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on a blessing from God, all right? So come tonight prepared with a sacrifice, ready to offer it uh, to God tonight. Acts chapter 27, I hope that was enough time for you to find it. Verse 13 is where I'm going to begin. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called your clue dawn. Your clue doom. I'm not sure. Something like that. It's a northeasterner. And when, the, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. And fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning, thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to bless our service here this morning. God, we ask that you would move in our midst in a mighty way here this morning. Lord, we just ask, God, that your presence would be felt here in a mighty way this morning. Lord, uh, you know the hearts here, Lord, this morning. There's nothing that is a surprise, nothing that is hidden from you. Uh, Lord, so I am praying here this morning, Lord, uh, that you would just move. Lord, that you would touch each one that is here. God, that you'd lift us up. God, that you would encourage us. God, that you'd draw us near to you. God, that you'd give us a boldness to go out and speak your word. God, I'm praying that you would just move in our midst here this morning and do what only you can do. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking that you'd have your way and your will in our midst. God, I'm asking for your anointing. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. Asking that you'd place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd help me to preach here this morning. Lord, that it, as a matter of fact, that I would just be the vessel this morning that brought your message. And each one here this morning would know that they've heard from you. God, that it come from you through my spirit to their spirit. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, so I'm asking that you'd preach me one more time here this morning. And Lord, I pray for each one, Lord, that we would be hearers of your word, but not only hearers, but doers as well. 
praying, Lord, that we would let your word take root deep in our hearts. And God, that it would, uh, Lord, that it would begin to grow and transform us from the inside out into the image of your son. Lord, my prayer is that we'd leave here different than how we come in. Greater fire, greater hunger, greater desire to serve you. And Lord, if there's any among us that's not sure where they stand with you, if there's any that are lost and undone, Lord, my prayer is that today would be the day that they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. So Lord, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, move amongst your people. This is your service. We love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, someone one time said that uh, going through a season of trouble is a lot like sur surviving a roller coaster ride, with a major exception. That exception is we don't vol you volunteer for the roller coaster ride. You probably got in line for it, but we don't volunteer for trouble. And the roller coaster ride is intended to be fun. Trouble was never intended to be fun. When you read this portion, and I just actually read part of it, you would really need to read the whole chapter. But when you read this portion of scripture in Acts 27, it sure sounds like these, these folks were in trouble, doesn't it? Uh, they, were, they were in a ship, and things weren't looking good. Matter of fact, the last verse where I quit reading in verse 20 tells us that they have come to a point of hopelessness. You know, as I was thinking about all of this, I, um, I talk to people all the time having to do with the Lord and, and trying to be His minister. And it seems like uh, given that vocation that God has called me to, that I'm all the time talking to people uh, who are at low points. All the time I'm talking to people who express to me some sort of degree of hopelessness. And even, even if maybe there's not something personal battle going on or trouble in your life, even when we just look out across our country and across our land. Right now, our country uh, is um, it's more divided, and there's a greater feeling of hopelessness, really on all sides, than at any other time in my life. And so, with some of those thoughts in mind, I decided to see what the Bible says about people losing hope. And I read a lot of different places in the scripture, and maybe I'll mention some of those here in a minute. But my search kept bringing me back here to Acts chapter 27. This, this chapter talks about the perilous journey that Paul took on his way to Rome. He had been arrested in Jerusalem. He had been held in Caesarea for a couple of years. And now he's appealed to Caesar. He's appealed to stand before Caesar and have his case heard before Caesar and Caesar to make the decision. So now he is on his way to Rome. 
he is on this ship, right? There, so there is a what we would consider today a police escort, right? An officer assigned to get him uh, to, to Rome. He's a Roman citizen. That's the reason he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so anyways, right? So they're on this ship. They're on this journey. They're going across the, the Mediterranean Sea, right? They booked passage on a, a, on a, 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 a cargo ship that was uh, uh, carrying probably wheat and stuff like that. And anyways, uh, it tells us of this journey, right? And so uh, they were late in the season, Things had not been going well. And Paul had actually warned the captain of the danger of traveling at that time of year. And we don't know, Paul had traveled a lot, right? He had went around, he'd been through this uh, before. This wasn't his first, uh, as we like to say, it wasn't his first rodeo. He'd, he'd done this before. And so whether this was something that was from his experience or more than likely than that, this was something God had impressed upon his heart. But regardless of, of, of where the origin of that is, Paul had warned the captain about the danger of traveling at that time of year. And he had actually suggested that they, have, that they winter in the port that they had just been in, in, in Crete. But the captain didn't listen to him. Well, it wasn't long, and they felt like conditions was right, things were favorable for them, and they set sail. But they didn't get very far, and the Bible says a mighty tempest arose. It's a storm, and it was quite a storm. The storm held them in its grip for nearly three weeks. Think about it. They are in that ship being tossed to and fro, caught in the midst and the grip of this storm for nearly three weeks until finally Paul's companion, Luke, who was with him at this time, accompanying him on this journey, Luke makes the statement that I ended with here. Until all hope that we should be saved was taken away. In other words, all hope was gone. From a human perspective, that was Luke's best analysis of the situation. You talk about a sickening feeling of hopelessness. That's what it was. That was it. It was like having the roof literally fall in on you. I mean, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, but you don't have to be a brain surgeon to be able to see what's going on today as we look around. Right? People were losing hope. Right? You go through any town in America and you'll see what's flourishing churches, right, who are closing their doors permanently. I come across some statistics here not too long ago uh, that, that bothers me a lot. Churches are now closing at a rate of 4,000 per year. 4,000 per year that are closing their doors and shutting their doors, right, and locking the doors for one final time. And that cl they're closing... Uh, that's actually not even counting Catholic churches. Catholic churches are actually closing at a faster rate than Protestant churches are. And here's the thing that bothered me. This is what God used to set me on this journey. Pastors are walking away from the ministry at a rate of 1400 per month. 
across the United States, right? There was some statistics that were gotten together over the last few years. And on average, it averages out to 1,400 pastors per month that are walking away from the ministry, calling it quits, calling it done. I talked to one Thursday. That's what set me, God used to set me on this course. I know churches, and, and so I'm wondering how, what kind of sense of hopelessness they have to get at to walk away from it. I'm not talking, these are, the, the one guy I was talking to, this is not somebody that's walked away from the faith. This is not somebody that's even walked away from going to church or anything like that. He's just walked away from pastoring. I wonder what sense of hopelessness you have to get to. And then I think about the other end of that. I know churches that have been without a pastor for a long time. I can think of a couple right here in our association. Uh, one that's been without a pastor for years now. And all this, all this is compounded by the problem of the number of people who no longer attend church on a regular basis. I've done a little digging because I wanted to give you some numbers. Fifty years ago, the number of people attending church on a regular basis here in the United States was almost 60%. Fifty years ago, almost 60% of the population attended church on a regular basis. Today, it's less than 18%. The most recent numbers you can find, it is just a little less than 18% of the U.S. population who attends church on a regular basis. Can I, can I throw, I don't mean for this to be uh, bring you down sermon at all, but can I throw one more thing in there? We went from 60% to 18%, and they've changed the bar also. You've got you to watch... The government's really bad about doing this, but all groups and organizations and stuff will do this sometimes. When year, I first recognized this years ago, um, whenever they were having a literacy problem with high school graduates, they lowered the bar so that all of a sudden it appears that more people are more literate than what they are. I, I, here's how I noticed it. Here's how I come across it. You look at old information from, say, 20 years ago or before, and the King James Bible is considered 12th grade reading level. You look at current literature statistics on it today, they've lowered the bar, and now that is a college level reading. They lowered the bar. Here is what they've done on what is, because I said the statistic is regular church attendance. Here's what they've done. 50 years ago, you were considered a regular church attender if you attended church at least once a week. Do you know what it is now to classify as a regular attender of church? Once a month. Once a month. The bar's been low. So I don't know even how to do the math to figure what the true real number is, but we went from 60% to 18%, and we lowered the bar to even get the 18%. What am I trying to say? Why is this happening? People are losing hope. They actually think that things can't turn around. I hear that amongst church people all the time. They think that there's no way that things will ever get better. 
even the most faithful come to the point where they're just going to uh, they're just going to hunker down and try to ride this thing out. People really believe that our moral compass is gone forever and that the church can never recover. And probably the pressures of everyday life uh, combined with just how depressing the news is, goodness, that's all that it's about. However you get your news, it's always negative. It's always something to bring you down, right? And then the political corruption, right, is at an all-time high. And the perverse behavior of our society is unbelievable and more access to it than ever. And the filth, right, of Hollywood, right, it just raised it to a whole nother level. And the deterioration of the spirituality of our churches has become too much for us. It seems like the time of people being concerned about morality and God and what he thinks is all gone. What I'm saying is this. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Now, somebody smarter and famouser than me said that. But it's true. I guess famous is not a word, huh? More famous. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Consequently, people are losing hope. So what does the Bible, that's where I come to in this, right? I'm just sharing with you some of my thoughts and some of the things, that research and things like that that I've dug up on this as I was rolling this around. So what does the Bible teach about hope? Well, I can tell you this, from the beginning to the end, the Bible regards hope as a powerful, motivating force. It was hope that took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and brought him to the promised land. It was hope that sent Moses back to Egypt to lead God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. It was hope that kept Caleb alive until he was over 80 years old so he could go and claim that mountain that God had given him. Remember the roller coaster ride that I mentioned in the beginning? It's, it, think about a roller coaster for a minute. It's filled with gut wrenching drops and then sudden curves. And just when you think that you've caught your breath, it drops again and you lose your stomach. And we call that fun. I used to. The older I get, the less fun it is, and the, just the harder it is on me. But trouble isn't fun. And we don't stand in line to get in on trouble. We try to avoid trouble as much as possible. But sooner or later, it catches up with all of us. So now we look back at the incident that I read to you in Acts chapter 27. And what we see here is 276 people on a deadly roller coaster. And they don't think that they're going to survive the ride. Trouble is like that. And it comes to everyone. Right now, 
the church, morality, and really America as a whole is in trouble. We're on a roller coaster ride. And pretty much everybody has lost hope. So I want to point out to you three things real quick that we can learn from this if we keep on reading a little bit farther. Three things about those times when we feel like all hope is gone. Verse 21, But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this this harm and loss. So Paul's doing an I told you so, first of all. Verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Verse 23, now here's, here's my first point. Listen to this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. First thing, God is still standing with us in the midst of our storms. They're in the three weeks in the ship, they've lost all hope. And Paul says, no, God's still here with us. One of the greatest things about having served the Lord for a number of years, right, is being able to look back across the years and see the times that God stood by you in the midst of the storm. Listen, folks, you may not always be able to see him, but he's there. God always stands by his own, right, his own people, right? When the storm comes, he's there. Think about it for a minute, right? Noah found that out when the rain began to fall. Moses found that out when he stood before Pharaoh. Joshua found that out when he stood there with Jericho standing before him. Gideon found that out when he stood before uh, the nation of Midian, right? Daniel and three Hebrew children, right? They found that out when they were tested. Stephen found that out as he was being stoned to death. Remember when he looked up and what he saw, heaven was open. And there was the Lord, right? Paul found that out when he... In the midst of this storm right here that I just read to you about. I'm telling you, whatever the storm may be, God will stand with us too in the midst of our storm. And the next thing that he says in verse 24. Now this is what the angel of God told Paul. Right? The angel is God's messenger. This is literally what God is saying to Paul. Verse 24, saying, Fear not, Paul. Can I say something? God is still speaking to us in the midst of our storms. The first word in that verse is saying. It's what God said to Paul in the midst of this storm. God is still speaking to us in the midst of our storms, right? And what does he say to him? He says, fear not, right? Fear is a terrible, paralyzing evil. All too often, we are fixated on the storm, 
right? We are so uh, fixed on the storm that we fail to hear what the Lord is saying to us. Jake read it to you this morning, right, in the midst of that storm, right? Whenever uh, uh, the Lord says to them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. We'll all remember the storm that the disciples were caught in because Jake just read it to us here in Matthew 14 well ago. You know, where Peter walks out on the water to the Lord. And when Peter took his focus off of the Lord and put it on the storm, what happens? He almost he began to sink, sink in the water and he almost drowned. But when his focus was on Jesus, that wasn't the case. As long as our eyes are on Jesus, everything will be fine. And then the last thing, the rest of verse 24 says, right? So, so the, God is speaking to him and says, or through the angel and saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. What's the third point I want you to know from this? God's will is still being accomplished in the midst of the storm. In the midst of the storm, God's will is still being accomplished. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that God will accomplish His will. Period. End of story, right? Things will not end before God's ready for them to end. I actually think, the more I read this and study this, when Luke is sharing this with us from the, in the book of Acts, I think part of what we're supposed to remember is he's telling us, I think it's supposed to remind us of Jonah. I mean, think about that, that comparison for just a minute. What's happening here? There's one great world power dominant at that time, and they have control over the nation of Israel. Paul is God's messenger, and he is on his way to the great imperial capital of the Roman Empire. To deliver a message from God. What's, what's going on in Jonah's day? Israel is controlled by the Assyrian army, the world, the dominating world army of the time. What is the capital of that city? Nineveh. What has God called Jonah to do? Take a message to that great imperial capital city of Nineveh from the only true and living and high God. There's your commonalities. What does Paul do? Paul puts his life on the line because that's exactly, we don't realize how big a deal that is to appeal to Caesar. His appeal don't work. He's dead. And they're not going to fool around with him. And he gets on a ship headed across the Mediterranean Sea. What's Jonah do? Jonah says, I hate them people. Now why exactly you hate them? Maybe they were mean, maybe they were cruel. I don't know. If you watch Veggie Tales, they say they slap people with fish. I'm not really sure what it was. Whatever it was, he didn't like them. And what does is, what is Jonah do? Jonah goes to Joppa, gets on 
the first boat he can find going the opposite direction of Nineveh and starts sail across the Mediterranean Sea for Tarshish. And what captures, what, what, what happens when he's out there, right? Grips that ship, a storm. <laughs> but there's two different results. Jonah gets thrown over the side and swallowed by a whale. Paul and the entire crew is saved. What am I trying to say? Jonah is running away from the call of God. Paul is being faithful to the calling that God has given him. Listen, God's will is still going to be accomplished, and we see it accomplished in both cases. You can rest assured here this morning that if you are in the will of God, doing the will of God, the things will happen exactly how God wants them to happen. And it will all work out for the good. Right? It will all work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. I didn't just make that up. You can go to Romans chapter 8 and read that for yourself. God's will is still being accomplished even when you're in the midst of the storm. Every one of us is in the midst of a storm. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. The Spirit of God dealing with you. Would you come? You got a need, you got a heavy burden. Would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning? God's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Whatever it is, listen to me. We need to be striving to be in the will of God, doing the will of God. God will not forsake us. He'll not leave us. He's there. And, and, and listen to me. He'll still talk to you in the midst of the storm. And if you're not hearing him, I've got to ask you, where is your focus? Is it on him or is it on the storm? So I'm begging you this morning, would you come? Would you come?